Watch, you're my hero. You were my teacher, my junior and senior year in high school. Uh, I think maybe even my sophomore year. Um, you ran the paper and you did it in such a way that you gave all the agency and control to the students. There were student editors. Student that was actor and fun fact, my high school fantasy boyfriend, James Franco. My name is Jenny Abamu, and I'll be your new co-host for the Ed Surge On Air podcast. I started with a clip from James. Yes, I call him by his first name because in my mind, we have a history. Because he was honoring his high school teacher and our guest today, educator, journalist, and author of the book, Moonshots in Education, Esther Wojcicki who most of her students call Waj. Esther has been teaching for over 30 years and was an early adopter of EdTech in her classroom. Today, she's turned her classroom into a multi-million dollar media center, and she's one of the few educators with her own Wikipedia page. You might call her the hipster of teachers, since she embraced collaborative learning, flexible seating, and student autonomy before it was trendy. This week, I'll talk with Esther about the state of high school journalism how technology is changing the game for journalists in the field and in the classroom, and all the things that she's doing with her multi-million dollar media center in Palo Alto. We'll have that conversation right after this. The Ed Surge Fusion Conference is an invitation-only event for school and district leaders from around the country. They'll be coming together in the San Francisco Bay Area from November 1st to the 3rd to talk about personalized learning and school transformation. If this sounds interesting to you, please request an invitation or learn about sponsorship opportunities by going to the following bit.ly link, bit.ly slash edsurgefusion. That's one word. Again, bit.ly slash edsurgefusion. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Ed Surge On Air podcast. I'm talking today with journalist, author, and educator Esther Wojcicki. 2017 has been a new era for reporting, where newsrooms have had to question and reevaluate their purpose for existing. For the mainstream media, technology has been both a friend and an enemy. So how do we prepare high school journalists for such an era? Esther, welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast. Where do educators begin? Well, thank you so much for including me and inviting me to this podcast. I'm honored and excited to be here. So your question about where do educators begin? Well, one thing that they should think about, number one thing they should think about is technology as support for the teacher in the classroom, as opposed to technology as a problem or technology as something you want to ban. Um, students will use technology effectively in your classroom if you show them how to do it and tell them what you're expecting. Uh, so that's, I would say, Number one. Um, so I've, I've come up with this crazy idea. Actually, it's not my idea, but I have a student who's working on this idea. And um, we're, we're launching this. It's going to be available on um, the iTunes store and on the uh, Android store. And what it is, it's an app where teachers who don't understand how to use a particular type of technology 
anything. We don't care whether it's just a, a piece of software or whether it's a device or they don't, they just have a question. They just don't know what they, what to do. And as a result, they don't use it. We have this app that's going to be called the Moonshot Squad. And so uh, they can type into this app their needs, whatever they need. And then within a very short period of time, could be like minutes or, you know, maybe an hour, a couple of days, depending on the situation. A kid who understands how to use that app really well can be a moonshot um, person. Well, we're going to actually, we're deciding exactly what we're going to call them. But they can come and help the teacher do something with their uh, with the problem they're having. So students um, are making apps in your media lab. What else is going on there? Because I thought it was mostly for journalism. Now I hear there's other things. Mm-hmm. They're doing everything. So, of course, it's journalism. I should just tell you a little bit about the program. So in this media uh, center, what we have is 10 different publications. And uh, there's six other teachers there that are really amazing teachers. And we have newspapers, uh, one newspaper, I should say. We have multiple magazines, television, radio, uh, websites, um, graphic design, and video production. So we try to make students excited about learning, and we're using journalism as a platform to do it. Because journalism and all these um, platforms are simply just that. They're a way to get information across. So we're giving a voice to students and a way for students to get their ideas out there. And, you know, in a it's legitimate way. It's exciting. We teach them all the rules, you know, ethics of the press. Kids are always very careful, careful about uh, making sure all their stories are correctly sourced. And if there's a problem, they... Uh, you know, apologize for it. Um, but it's it's a way to get kids to be prepared for the 21st century. And yes, this is it is a huge program. There's over 600 kids in this class, and not, not class, this program. There's multiple classes. And um, the center is 25,000 square feet. And if you come over, you would see that it's just a hub of activity all the time. The front of the building has a ticker tape. So, um, you know, they want it to be kind of like, you know, New York. And so they announce every day, you know, the new news on the ticker tape. It's pretty cool, to be honest. I wish I would have been a student in this program. So you're, it sounds like an amazing, huge media center and a big change from what you're old classroom used to be like but it also sounds really massive do you miss anything about the old classroom um you know it is different for me because I was in a first of all I was the first place I was in the school they put me upstairs in the corner room in a building that is now a hundred years old so you can imagine that was quite different <laughs> and then that was that was followed by putting me in a lecture center because my class got so big um and so that, of course, was a very different thing because the chairs never moved, you know, and so I had to figure out how to make that one work. And then that was followed by putting me in a portable. There were just too many students. They put me in lots of different portables. Um, and so, yes, this is all really different. 
because today I have the state-of-the-art equipment. I have this incredibly wonderful building. And, um, but, you know, I have students that come back and visit all the time and they say things like, oh, we loved being together, you know, smashed together 80 kids in the portable. You can imagine what it was like in there. And um, there was, you know, it's not exactly your typical class, kids sitting on the floor on the counter, but the the culture of the class was, it was one of excitement and the fact that they were doing, it was learning for them, learning controlled and uh, directed by students. You know, I was, I'm kind of like the orchestra director, you know, out there making sure that the orchestra is doing what it should be, but they were the ones playing the instruments and uh, they loved it. And yeah, they do miss the crazy things that, you know, we used to do when we were back in a very small um, place or actually we were in multiple small um, portables and we had to run between one portable and another portable. You know, I got a lot of exercise doing that. Um, but it is, it's a far better the way it is today. I think other schools could do this as well or do something similar to this if they gave kids some control in the classroom. And I think one of the problems is that the testing is really forcing everybody to be very directive. And as a result, teachers want to make sure kids are always covering what they're supposed to be covering. And then there's very little control in the classroom. In fact, you know, the classroom is, you know, completely directed by the test. I've heard you say this at a few different events that you've been at, kind of talking about the testing system and how it's hampered teachers uh, and also advocating for student autonomy. Um, how do teachers balance the need to, yes, meet, make sure that certain skills are taught, but also yet, if they wanted to um, offer students the autonomy that you talk about? Well, I mean, I think my technique for doing that is a combination. So what I propose is that teachers can do the traditional lecture textbook method for 80% of the time. And then the other 20% of the time, it should be an opportunity to apply whatever it is that they're teaching in the classroom. And um, it's that other 20% of the time that seems to be hard to implement. Uh, for most teachers, because you're giving up control, you know, the kids are in control. And so my, the ideal is to have it 50, 50, it's called the blended learning prop method, which what we're, that we're doing that in Palo Alto Unified Schools. Um, but it is, it is hard for most um, people to even conceptualize um, moving in, in that direction. If you want to give up total control, which is basically in many cases what I do uh, for the newspaper, then you come up with ideas that, I mean, I haven't even conceptualized. And they're great. I mean, I want to know where what kids are thinking today. And um, I will never know what kids are thinking today if I'm doing all the talking. And I'm going to pivot to specific talking specifically about teaching journalism. You've been through quite a diff few different eras in journalism and thinking about the new publications that are popping up, individual blogging capabilities, coupled with strong criticisms of the mainstream media. Has that affected students' perception of journalism, what journalism is? Um, yes, it has 
really um, impacted what students think of mainstream journalism, what journalism is. Um, and I actually journalism, in spite of the fact that print journalism has not done as well because of the web recently. In fact, journalism has exploded because there's so many more outlets now that's all over the web. Students are looking for information everywhere. They they are interested in being a journalist, but they're interested in being on the web, web journalists in a variety of different ways. And that could be, um, there's there's so many ways in which they can contribute on the web. And uh, so it has made a, a huge impact on, on them. So in the way I teach journalism to, today, well, the way I always did is, you know, you have to be able to understand what is fake news. And, you know, if the story sounds crazy, you better check it out. Hmm. And you need to also um, understand sources. What, who, who do you have for a source? What are sources? And um, I've also been working with kids, showing them, you know, different publications, the standard publications that are, that you can trust people that are, I mean, the publications are staffed by professional journalists. And then there's publications out there that are not. Some of them are excellent too, but you still need to check and make sure the sources are credible. Um, they, kids are very excited about journalism. I don't think journalism is going anywhere. And I know people say, ah, journalism is, you know, disappearing. Mm -hmm. The only pop part, like I said, of journalism is disappearing is the paper. Everything else is there in spades. And uh, you kind of mentioned a little bit about kind of teaching your students how to spot fake news, because uh, I remembered a study came out last October from Stanford, and it talked a little bit about how students struggle to evaluate the credibility of information they find online. Have you seen this with your students? And what is your, you mentioned a little bit about your approach to teaching news literacy. What other tips would you give for educators who are looking to teach students how to read news? Well, um, there is there are there's a lot of uh, material online for how to search effectively. So Dan Russell at Google has written a lot of a lot of a lot of um, there is a lot of information I should just say, and also he even has um, worksheets for students on how to figure out something about the search results you've gotten. So if you just look at Dan Russell online, I'm sure you'll come up with a lot of that information. That is one of the main things, is to understand what it is that you're getting online. Um, there's other sources. There's the News Literacy Project in New York um, by Alan Miller. Uh, and in the News Literacy Project, he has a something called Checkology which is a way is basically software that teachers can use to help students figure out whether or not the news is credible or not. Um, the museum in Washington, DC has an incredible program um, that teaches, they actually have a poster which the teachers can order and it's called, is this share worthy? Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
and I think it's a great poster. We have it hanging up around Palo Alto High School. Is this a story that should be shared? And it looks at the sources of the story. It gives students, you know, five or six different things to look at before they decide they want to share it. Um, the museum program, it's free and open to everyone. The um, news literacy program, Checkology is a subscription-based program. I'm also um, thinking, kind of pivoting a little bit again, uh, about the social media aspect, that, that what role that's played for your students. Pew Research study came out recently that said that Facebook was the primary way that uh, younger generations were getting their news. And I thought that was really interesting that social media has played such a big role for not only the, not only the dissemination of news, but also the creation. And I wonder how that's impacting the way you're teaching uh, news in school and how student, what skills students are seeking. Well, so for me personally, I teach them that the Facebook news is they need to be very careful. And I think that goes back to the, is this share worthy? Because what happens is you have your Facebook feed and then people are sharing news that they found that was interesting and the question is, is that news credible? And they are trying to solve this problem. Um, but I think it's it's important for people to realize in their feed, they were g- going to be getting news from a group of people that, you know, might always be representing one side and that the algorithm continues to support more news on that side without checking to see whether that news is real or not. So when I, in my class, I teach how Facebook news is generated and why there are problems with it. Um, So my students are aware and um, actually we're going to have, you know, I have them sharing the craziest fake story that they have seen recently. which is not a good thing to have to do, but you know, all these stories are out there. Like for example, today there's a story about Uber being banned in London. And yes, that's true. Uber is being banned in London. But if you read carefully, it turns out that Uber is still going in London. It's right now, it's, there, there's a controversy and you know, they're still operating during this appeal. So Uber is still functioning in London. Um, But if you read some of the stories online, you would think that if you flew to London today, you would never be able to find an Uber. So that is, that's an example of a story that is, sorry, that is um, the facts have been adjusted just slightly, but enough to make you frantic. How are students Um, able to navigate? Are they worried about their abilities to do this? um, Yes, I think they are worried about their ability. I think everybody's worried about their their ability to do this. Um, We are all worried about how to distinguish um, fake from real. Um, I mean... It's it's a problem. We we have the democratization of um, news media, and at the same time now we have the rise of fake news. Um, I just think that it's uh, it's something that we we need to 
unfortunately worry about. Um, and like I said, I think one of the best ways to do it is looking at those resources from the museum. But um, it's really important for them to know um, what is um, what is fake news. And so one of the things that they can think about is they should look at the evidence, the source, the context, the audience, the purpose, and the execution. So they've got that written out on the museum site. It's, and it, those um, the acronym is ESCAPE to help kids remember. And it's, you know the E is evidence, the S is source, context, audience, purpose, and execution. And I mean, just being exposed to this makes a huge difference. I mean, just kids just don't even know, and actually many adults don't even know that there's a possibility that the news is fake because the general consensus years ago was if it's in print, it must be true. And I think that that still is a problem because if it's in print, it could easily not be true. (laughs) Um, We want freedom of expression. We don't want to curb that. But on the other hand, there looks like there has to be some kind of, you know, controls um, or we're just going to be inundated with more of this fake news. Um, And my final question to you is given the importance of just news and its ability for, for its ability to continue educating students and adults, even when they get out of school, uh, I'm wondering these skills that you're teaching students, evaluation and, and researching and all those things, should journalism be an elective or should journalism be a mandated course in some kind of capacity? I love this question because this is my passion right now. News literacy should be a requirement for every student in this country. It shouldn't just be for the privileged few. And it could easily be a four-week block that could be put into a social studies program. And because that is how we talk about civics, and this is how we talk about what's going on in our country. Mm -hmm. And all students should know that. And so I'm working on this curriculum which would hopefully would, should be available soon, which would be like fighting fake news. And, you know, how do, how do the facts hold up? A curriculum for all students. And it would be engaging. And you could do it on your computer. I mean, the teacher can, I'm hoping the way it will work is the teacher can actually play some videos and the class, and then the class can do some discussion and then they can do some search online using their phone or using their computer. And then they can come up with, with real world, real time information. Should we believe this? Is this story share worthy? Is this fake? You know, uh, what are the fundamentals of news that all stories should have? How to differentiate between fact and opinion? These are things that all, everybody in the 21st century needs to know. So this needs to be a required course for students everywhere. And it could be offered at the middle school level. It could be offered at the high school level. I think the earlier you offer it, the better, because kids are consuming news, you know, pretty early, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, they're already consuming news. And then they're believing some of the stuff and um, the stuff they're believing might not be true at all. 
Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast, Esther. You're welcome. And I hope that it, I hope it's helpful for all teachers everywhere. That's my goal. Make teaching easier, make learning more engaging.